Hi everyone, good evening. Welcome to Hawks Insiders Thursday Night Safe Space, our final one of the home and away season. Um, and we will be looking back at the loss to the Western Bulldogs, a 23-point loss at Utah Stadium on Sunday that closed the season. We'll be looking ahead to a Box Hill Hawks elimination final on Sunday evening. Ed Sill, the president of the Box Hill Hawks, will be our special guest in a little while to talk about that. And we'll also have a look at AFLW. Hawthorne starting its season, its history-making season at Marvel Stadium Saturday night against the Bombrays. And we're going to start unpacking all the myriad decisions facing the Hawks over the next few weeks. Joining me in a slightly reduced team tonight, a couple of the regulars, Andrew and Darren, have both got silly things like beach nights or school concerts or something, so they're unavailable. But uh, in the uh, uh, in the controls tonight is Danny Prince. Hello, Danny. Hi, Ash. I'm surprised people have let, let me with uh, the password to this account, so hopefully I don't... Uh... Do anything too silly. I'm a bit nervous, so please bear with me. We'll be changing the password uh, to Hawks Insiders Twitter tomorrow at, morning, uh, 9:35 this evening. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. And uh, yeah. Brad Klebanski, hello, Brad. Evening, all. Good to be here again. Good to have you here. Um, as I said, we're down a couple of soldiers tonight to quote the greatest coach in the history of the North Melbourne Football Club. So. Please feel free any time to jump on with a question or observation to take part in any of the conversations we're going to have over the next little while or so. Um, as I start this space tonight, Carlton's losing their first game in the AFLW, so it's already a very good night. And uh, we'll talk a bit about that as well over the next little while or so. So we'll start with the game at um, end of the Hawthorne season, Utah Stadium. One o'clock Sunday, Hawthorne uh, lost by 23 points to the Western Bulldogs. It was 10-4-64 to 12-15-87. Jack Gunson kicked four goals. Uh, Hawks played well, very well, in fact, in the first half, but it was pretty obvious in the third quarter when the Dogs took uh, control of the ball. Hawthorne, even with the breeze, found it hard to score. It really was only a matter of time in the end. You look at the margin, 23 points, and think the Hawks probably uh, dodged a bullet there because it could easily have been 40 or 50 points given the weight of numbers, especially Danny, the uh, terrible stats out of the uh, out of the middle. It's quite remarkable the Hawthorne managed to hold on in the game for as long as they could and, and stem the bleeding. Even in early last quarter, I think Dylan Moore kicked a goal. That was still a, there was less than a goal in it. Um, we always go through the good and the bad. Brad will do the bad, of course, in a minute. Danny, what was the good about it? Well, as you touched on, Ash, the first half was really competitive and um, that's twice uh, in two encounters against the Bulldogs where we've come out of the blocks really well. Um, We led them at quarter time like we did last time. Um, Both times we failed to go on with the job, but I think that's just um, young, inexperienced players not being able to play out four quarters. Um, But I think when we were were there, we were really there and we, we competed really well. Um, I was really impressed with uh, our captain-in-waiting, James Sicily, and hopefully our vice-captain-in-waiting, Blake Hardwick, who had fantastic games. Um, I think there's some real positives with the way that uh, Finn McGuinness has just come on leaps and bounds in the second half of this season in his ability to shut out um, Premier on ballers, and he did such a great job for three quarters on Bailey Smith, and then they moved him on to Tom Liberatore. Um, so both players that um, that Brad had identified as being danger men for the Bulldogs, and he had a crack at both of those and did really well against them both. Um, I was really happy to see um, positive final games for the season for Will Day. I thought he was really impressive. Um, a little bit sloppy with some disposals, but um, I thought the way he uh, ran out the game and um, got his hands on the footy a lot more this week was really good. And um, a special mention to my boy, uh, Denver Granger Barras, I thought was fantastic in defence um, this week. And um, yeah, I was really uh, impressed with his ability to play on um, both talls and smalls early. He played on uh, a couple of the big boys and um, finished on Cody Waitman and did a really good job on Waitman, who can be very dangerous. So um, there was enough positives there um, to you know walk away with a bit of a smile on your face, even though we were outclassed by the Bulldogs. I think there was enough there. And then, you know, touching on 
really quickly, debuts of Ned Long and, and Jack Saunders. I think any time an AFL player gets to make play their first game, that's a that's a positive and something that should be celebrated. And um, you know, we'll probably touch on this with Ed later, but um, you know, Ned's had a pretty solid first year at Box Hill, but Jack's really earned his spot um, in the box in the Hawthorne team through really strong Box Hill performances in the last sort of five to six weeks. So it's good to see those efforts rewarded. Yeah, I thought uh, Long, they both showed a little bit. We'll talk a bit about them later on um, in terms of how the list is looking. But uh, Long, he's a big boy, Long. And I just couldn't help but, uh, I wrote this in observation, just couldn't help thinking, um, give Peter Burge two two or three years to work with Ned Long. He's that sort of tall midfielder that so many teams have that Hawthorne does not. I mean, Hawthorne has with Connor Nash, but I think... um, Ned Long has the potential to be a, a better Connor Nash. Certainly, sort of adds to the uh, makeup of the midfield as a sort of more tall midfielder. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you look at the body shape of Long at the moment, he just looks like that young kid with a bit of the young kid's body. He looks like he's a, 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 a and this is probably why you're talking about Peter Burge. He looks like he's just a, a lump of clay ready to be moulded by somebody who can just like turn him into a, an athlete and a weapon. And uh, we know he can run all day. We know he's very physical and enjoys tackling. Um, and let's hope he can, they're giving him a few strings to his bow by playing him on the wing this uh, for, for, for the Hawks in his debut game and played a few games for Box Hill that way too in the second half of the year. But I think he settles into that inside midfield role and he's got a huge tank, which is awesome. Brad, the floor is yours. Uh, not a lot. Number one, though, midfield, midfield, midfield. Absolutely destroyed, like you mentioned, Ash. I don't think I'd seen a discrepancy in stats like we saw on you know on Sunday in a long time. We lost clearances, forty nine to twenty two. I think in the second quarter there was a stage where the Dogs had six centre clearances and kicked four goals too, which is just a ridiculous stat. Uh, and the other one, which got on uh, my nerves, Rourke Smith, three goals. <laughs> he kicked 10 goals in his previous eight seasons. So you can add that one to the list of your Ronks and your Callum Browns from the GWS who kicked four against us in the pouring rain. And I don't think he's kicked a goal since. So, Ash, that's another one to add to your list when we talk about this in years to come. But Rourke Smith will never kick three goals again in a game probably in a season. So, I think next year we're going to have, we're going to start, we're going to call it the Leo King medal. <laughs> for the unheard of player who comes on and has a career best outing against Hawthorne. Um, I think that might be something we do next year, but certainly you're right. Uh, we, we kept them. We kept a lot of their accomplished players uh, quiet, but Rourke Smith slipped under their guard. Anything else disappoint you out of the day? Uh, Tommy Mitchell. I don't know if it was him uh, checking out or we just had a really poor game, but that was a really, really poor game from Tom. Uh, and him and Jager had Jager had a really good season, but his last few games, in my opinion, were very quiet. So it's going to be interesting to see. The off-season is going to be really fascinating for us because as we've spoken about uh, many times, the midfield needs a lot of work still. And someone's going to have to go because uh, Warple is going to keep his spot. I know he's had a shoulder, Rico, but he's young. He needs to be in the side next year. So I think Tommy's definitely the one. And I know he's come out and said he's happy at the club and he's going to stay. But the way he's been playing at the end of the season, I think the writing is on uh, the wall. So if he does go, I don't think it's going to be a surprise to many. Yeah, well, he's certainly going to say he's, he's, he's not going to come out and say he wants to be traded. But, uh, yeah, I think there's signs there that someone, I think one or two of the uh, one or two reasonable names of Hawthorne probably won't be at the club uh, in a few months' time. We've got uh, several, we've got a few weeks anyway to work through that. In terms of the fan experience, not a whole lot to report when you're watching it from the other side of uh, the other side of um uh, Bass Strait or whatever it is, I think that what it has passed without a lot of commentary um, is that as of now, the, the Tassie contract's over and is yet to be renewed. So that could have been, like Hawthorne, probably won't be, 
Danny, but it could have been Hawthorne's last home game in uh, at uh, Utah Stadium because there's always the potential that if the Tassie bid falls over, um, that the Tasmanian government might give a great big fu to the AFL and to Hawthorne and to North Melbourne for that matter, and close the doors on on the AFL bid down there. And if it, it might be, a, or the other part could be could be open open bidding for all eighteen teams in theory to come up with the best offer to play in Tasmania and that Hawthorne won't have any sort of head start at all in those negotiations. That'd be a really interesting way to finish what's been a really rewarding um, collaborative relationship between Tasmania and, and the Hawks. I think um, you, you, you would be hopeful that there'd be some sort of bridging agreement or uh, arrangement going forward, you know, with uh, the Tasmanian bid sort of in the background. But um, if not, it also means we've got to start looking for more major sponsors. So there's a lot of ripple effects to to this decision. But what a what an interesting way it would be for that relationship to end. Surely it isn't. But if it is, you would have thought you would have hoped there would be some sort of you know finale celebration, something like that, for you know to celebrate that relationship. So yeah, uh, into the night, uh, very quietly. If it if it does go down that track, yeah. I mean, I think it, I think. It will continue. It might be a series of one-year agreements um, going forward. I think. You know, the, I think I've mentioned on, on this basis before that I, I'm pretty sure the uh, the Launceston uh, Chamber of Commerce and the business lobby in Launceston wouldn't be all that happy if uh, the Hawks stopped coming to town at all, because there's a fair bit of business that is geared up towards um, Hawthorne when they do come and play. So right through North Tasmania, especially the Barnbougal Golf Club. Uh, which is a home away, home away from the home away from home for a lot of Hawthorne people. So I suspect it's not over, but it, uh, it sort of has passed, uh, given so much else going on at footy at the moment. Um, and I th- don't think Hawthorne wants to make any ways at the moment in terms of big statements about Tasmania. It's, it's got to let these next few weeks play out. But it remains to be seen what happens next year, whether it's the same agreement, fewer games, um, a different commercial agreement without the clean stadium, a whole lot of... Uh, uh, to play out um, there going forward. Okay, gentlemen, uh, give me your final votes for the uh, for the season for that game. Prinzy? <laughs> um, all right, so I gave three to James Sicily, uh, two to Blake Hardwick and one to Finn McGuinness. Uh, three to Sicily, two to Hardwick and one to Gunston. All right, thank you, gentlemen, for your votes. We are going to get into the Box Hill Hawks segment of the spaces tonight. Um, Then we'll turn our attention to AFLW and some list decisions. As always, great friend of ours here at Hawks Insiders, Ed Sill, the president of the Box Hill Hawks, has been good enough to join us. Ed, good evening. Good evening. Thanks for for having me. Really good to have you with us. Um, Firstly, you uh, very generously invited couple of our people to uh, lunch for the Swans game in the weekend, Darren and uh, Danny, were they well behaved? Extremely well behaved, I must say. It, uh, it was a, an excellent day that uh, got uh, very worse uh, off at about two o'clock. So, no, all good, all good. Very good. How do you talk, talk us through, I think we'd rather look forward than look back after the results on the weekend, but what do you put... Uh, they had a very experienced team, particularly in the big men department. Was it just a bad day at the office for the Box Hill Hawks? Oh, no, I think, I think there's a couple of aspects to it, Ash. Um, certainly, um, as Hawthorne is moving to an end of year where they're, they're putting players out to get their surgeries done and get ready for 2023, you know, there was a pretty long tail of guys unavailable. So I think I reckon we had six or seven Hawthorne players playing, which was an incredibly low number. The knock-on effect, we had a number of Box Hill guys out. The knock-on effect, if we had five or six 18, 19-year-olds who in isolation might be okay, but when you when you throw them all together, it, it sort of changes the dynamics a fair bit. And and the flip side is Sydney were very, very good. You know, they had uh, guys who were AFL-level ruckmen, some AFL-level defenders, AFL-level forwards. So it was always going to be a tough day at the office, and, and so it transpired. What um, let's get to the first question is how many Hawthorne guys are in the squad now for the rest of the season for Box Hill? I saw a video today. I, I recognise three or four faces in the room. A video of uh, of of the coach talking to the players. How many uh, 
Hawthorne players uh, will be uh, part of the squad for the rest of the year. It's, it's around 12 or 13. So from Sunday's game, we get back Saunders, Blank, Howell, Long and Sarong added to the guys who, uh, who played on Saturday. So it changes up our side significantly. Can uh, right. Lynchy play? No, he um, unfortunately overqualified on Saturday we, or Sunday. We did um, we did put a, a, a application for a dispensation through the league, but I understand that got knocked back yesterday. That's disappointing. I would have thought uh, may have been some grounds there. There's um, my experience with these things is there's no rhyme nor reason to what gets accepted or gets knocked back. So the the fact that he's had a, a pretty difficult year with uh, particularly around concussions, we'd assumed that it might uh, it might be okay. But unfortunately, um, we got the news. And as I say, we've just got to look forward and uh, trust a very, very young uh, couple of Ruckman to uh, hopefully get the job done. Ramsden's looked really good, though. So the signs are there. So two or three weeks ago, we played Frankston down at Frankston. It was a bit of a bogey game for us. I was most worried on the drive down. At half-time, Ramsden was so far best on ground, it wasn't funny. And certainly Frankston, after the game, noted that they thought he was clearly Box Hill's best player. I so my time at Box Hill, I've not seen a 19-year-old Ruckman have such an impact. He was, um, there was actually nothing he couldn't do. He was great below his knees. He took marks. Great at centre contests. So, so no, we, we're not, um, we just happened to come across two really experienced AFL Ruckman last week. So I, I think positive, very positive signs for Max. You said there's some experienced players in the box. Box Hillers of players weren't playing either. Who, who, who comes back for the trip on Sunday night? So we're hoping that Thorpe and Parsons who have been out for an extended period of time. They're, they're both really good VFL players. Parsons been through Geelong for an extended period of time. Um, Thorpe's been a Williamstown Andy Collins protege for a long period of time, so we're hoping that those those come guys come back in. We we got a little bit stretched in the midfield um, last week. We didn't, we, you know, we didn't bat as deep as we hoped. So particularly Parsons helps that out, and Dan Howell helps that out. So um, it, the the dynamics at VFL level change pretty quickly, and and Dan Howell, whilst you know, can be a bit of a whipping boy at Hawthorne, at Box Hill, he's just a one. He's a lovely young man, and he's been. Um, whenever he comes back, he is a central figure in the way uh, the way we operate on any given day. He seems yep. like that type of our player, Dan. Like he dominates at the VFL uh, level, but he's just a tad below when it comes to AFL. He just seems like he's the perfect uh, VFL uh, player. I'm sure he's a leader as well. He seems like he's a popular guy as well. So, be interesting to see what happens at the end of uh, this season if uh, Clarko decides to take him across to North because I think he was a favourite of our Clarko when Clarko was at the club. Yeah, look, I, look, I, I'll, that will play out. All I can do is speak particularly highly of the Hawthorne older guys when they come to Box Hill. I, I could understand a Liam Shields or a Dan Howe coming back to Box Hill and perhaps not putting their heart and soul into it. They're, they're the other way. They're just fantastic the way they come back and support the young boys. And the other one I just need to give a a bit of a shout out to his um, Kyle Hardigan. So Kyle, who's probably you know got a mixed reaction from from Hawthorne supporters, um, he's he's endeavour and his focus at Box Hill's fantastic. And as the year gets navigated and the, as as we become a bit of a Sunday club with Hawthorne playing games on Sunday and needing to identify twenty third and twenty fourth man, he Hardigan six or seven weeks ago said, "Look, I don't care where I play. Just tell me what you want me to do." You want me to be the twenty fourth man? Great, I'll do that. If you want me to play at Box Hill, great, I'll do that. And everything I can do to help James Blank come on, um, I'll do that. So, uh, just you know, from my viewpoint, you, you can't get better attitudes than, than the boys that, that they bring to the club. Did you say Blank's playing on Sunday, or is he? He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's. Uh, we're quite excited about that. Um, Gold Coast have got a couple of good key forwards, so uh, they train tonight, and he's uh, he's ready to go. Tell us about Liam Shields, the fact that he had, I mean, talking before, just him dropping back. I imagine it would have been very similar to when Ruffett played a few years ago for Box Hill. He, um, so Liam is a very understated guy. I, um, I know he's got some interests outside of footy that he's looking to, to pursue post-footy, but I would imagine as, a, as an assistant coach, development coach, he'll be fantastic. So 
he spends a lot of time, I spoke about the five or six young boys who played with us out of Eastern Rangers or Gippsland Power last week. Um, Liam spends a lot of time just talking to them and just putting his arm around them, pointing in the right direction. Um, you know, quite frankly, he, he he's entitled, I reckon, to, you know, not be motivated. But he was asked a question six or eight weeks ago, you know, where, where did he... Would, would he be interested if Box Hill made the finals? Would he be interested in that program? He said, "Absolutely, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that." Though, so he's, I really just, just love the young man. As a passionate Hawthorne guy, he's been a great player for us. But I just watch the way he's involving himself, at Box Hill, and it's just, just fantastic. I, I suspect he still might have some time at AFL, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of Clark's, Clarko's boys over the next year or two. Yeah, I'd be it's I'd be absolutely staggered if he's not uh, involved with North Melbourne next year yeah. as a uh, yeah. as a you know play ten or twelve games as a culture builder because that's that's been such a strong suit of his at um, at Hawthorne. So how's the year been? I mean, it's been challenging. We've sort of over the last six seven weeks we've seen Hawthorne put guys out for uh, for for surgery. If Hawthorne was uh, three or four from the top rather than three or four from the bottom, you thought they might they're the sort of injuries that players might play through. So obviously it's a flow-on effect to, to Box Hill. In the in the wash, I was making the finals a pretty good achievement for, for Box Hill or sort of the expectation in spite of the, the, the personnel issues? I think uh, um, so. you've got to differentiate the uh, the non-football view from the, the football department's view. So, so, you know, I think we've made finals either 18 or 19 times out of 20 years. So it's been a pretty good record of um, getting into the finals. Nonetheless, though, when I reflect on it, I go, okay, well, certainly Hawthorne's in a, in a program of transition um, and that's never really good for an aligned club. Um, that's just the reality of it. And I think this year we've had less Hawthorne players play per game than virtually in the 20 years of the alignment, just because of the, as we become a Sunday club, as I mentioned before, 23rd and 12th, 24th man, get dragged away, etc. We're pretty pleased, though. Um, we One of the measures we look at is the differential between where the AFL club and the AFL reserves club or a line club is on the ladder. And I think we finished the year five spots higher than the AFL club, which we take as a bit of a badge of honour to say, OK, we're not necessarily... You know, we're, we're probably outperforming where they are at this stage. Um, so, no, it's not... It's not um, we're certainly not reflecting on it with any disappointment. I would also reflect on our last premiership. We came from outside the top four and won, uh, you know, three games in a row at Port Melbourne. So this season's got a bit to play out just yet. I saw the coach today indicating that, you know, it could be flying anywhere. It could be uh, Gold Coast this week. It might be a trip to Sydney, then back to Queensland potentially. Might not. Uh, you might not see Melbourne if you keep winning. But you might keep winning, but not see Melbourne until the grand final. That, that's right. So it's an odd one, though, because we got Casey plays Sydney. And if Casey were to lose, we'd be out to Casey if, if we beat Gold Coast. So, um, but if that didn't occur, yeah, we're definitely on a, if we continue to win, we're on a Gold Coast, Sydney, and then somewhere in Queensland trip, which is great. It actually adds, I think, to the opportunity for our, our list to, to really embrace what the next three or four weeks might bring. How big is a travelling party for a, for a VFL team when you're going to stay for final? You've got the, the 23 players or whatever it is. How many others uh, are in the travelling party? So the, um, the AFL fund 40 on the, the travelling party. Um, the Sunday lunchtime, our travelling party was at 44. It grew to 46 by Sunday afternoon when I think a couple of the Hawthorne coaches uh, added themselves to the list. I think we're sitting at about 46 or 47 sort of at the football department on, on travelling up on Sunday and plus a number of the board members, et cetera, will be uh, heading up as well. Well, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a road trip. It's a, bit, a bit of fun or it's all business? Oh, no, I think you've got, to, you've got to embrace it and enjoy it. So we're all on the um, – I think we're generally on the same flight out set a Sunday morning. Uh, enjoy the day would be the sort of the message that I'm hearing from – uh, from the football department to so say, let, let's enjoy it. This is uh, this is a mission. This is an opportunity. Let, let's make the uh, make the most of it. And how did you go last time against Gold Coast? So we beat them up there by five-ish goals. Um, really good win away from home. Our our side will be as strong as it was that day, if not a little bit stronger. Um, so we go in, you know, pretty optimistic. Uh, 
away finals are always always a bit of a challenge. But no, we, we certainly go in with a um, optimistic about our chances. We'll we'll put a good side out. We won't. I, you know, I think we acknowledge we won't have too many excuses. If they're better on the day than we are, so be it. Um, but yeah, there won't there won't be too many excuses available to us. How's the VFL work this year? I mean, it's very unwieldy. How many I don't, how many teams there are, and you don't play everyone. You don't even play everybody once. Um, how do you think it's working? How would you like to, if if you were the czar of the VFL for twenty four hours, how would you structure it going forward? So I think the first thing you do is say let's. So there's twenty one sides this year. Um, I think it may. So we play eighteen games. So therefore we're not playing everyone twice. Pretty straight. Not playing everyone once. Pretty straightforward. I'd say right, let's let's do make sure we play everybody at least once. That evens out the competition completely. Um, I, I, I'm a as a passionate football person. I, I believe in uh, the history of. Uh, clubs and I look at the number of the standalone clubs and say we need to support them. The strength of the VFL competition we based on the strength of Williamstown and Port Melbourne uh, and clubs like that. So really important that they're strong and competitive. Um, so yeah, play everybody once. Uh, look, I think it, it is a um, it's a semi-professional, high-performance competition. Perhaps some of these standalone clubs who aren't able to pay their salary cap, I would say, you know, you, you, that should be a bare minimum. You should be able to pay to pay your salary cap to ensure the competition levels are appropriate. Um, and if you can't, okay, acknowledge the, the history that some of these clubs bring, but perhaps this competition isn't for you. They'd, they'd be the two things that I'd, I'd most focus on. I, I, I'm a great believer in the standalones. We should be supporting them. My view is we should never do anything that reduces the competitive level of the VFL so we need to drag some of those standalone clubs up as opposed to put any more restrictions to bring the competition level down Is there any talk as to how the competition is going to be in uh, 2023 now beyond? Is it going to be exactly the same or have you heard if there are going to be any changes? I think they're, they're very keen and I've, I've you know, got to say the AFL has been very supportive of particularly the standalone clubs um, in, in, in ensuring their survival um, the two things that are being spoken about are increasing the salary cap uh, and just adjusting. There's a there was a rule brought in around how many under 22s must play from week to week, and that did have a little bit of diminishing the competition. So um, that's that's going to probably be tweaked by as the year goes on um, or as we lead into next year. I think that that piece around the salary cap is pretty important. Um, not too many guys play VFL footy for the money. But you've got to reduce the options of guys saying, okay, I'm done now. I'm going to go and play up the country. You need to continue to make sure that the guys go, okay, I still want to put my best foot forward. I still want to play at the highest level I can. I still have aspirations around being drafted. But I I need a little bit of compensation to support that. So, um, as I say, I think they'll they'll be the the two critical decisions going forward. Ed, you touched on uh, the rule around playing the under-22s and we chatted with you in um, pre-season for Box Hill around the excitement around some of the young recruits that you'd picked up um, with the the couple of sort of weird COVID years. Um, How would you assess some of those young guys, how they fit in? Um, did they were they coming from further back than you anticipated? And you know which ones should we keep an eye out for um, a bit more consistently in 2023? Well, I think if you go back to that conversation, I was probably talking about James Blank as someone who'd been um, had missed 2020 completely, played a couple of games 2021, and then had a preseason uh, preseason at Hawthorne and came back to Box Hill and just looked like a complete player. So he um, so. So he's a really good example. I think that that story about guys missing out has still probably got another another year to run. That um, we were yep. just chatting today about it. If there's a couple of guys that I look at, so um, Max Walton uh, has played half a dozen games with us and also played back at, uh, at Gippsland Power. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to be an ex, love to claim to be an expert. I'm just a passionate supporter as opposed to an expert. But I look at him and go, the one thing you can't buy is time when you've got the footy. And he's always got time. He reminds me very much of Will Day. He's got that sort of same loping gait. But when he gets the footy similar to Will, he's got time. 
uh, about it. So, um, you know, not too dissimilar again to Will, just needs to probably put on another eight or ten kilos. I think he's got AFL attributes, and I know Hawthorne um, have the same aspirations. And, and there's a guy who played on um, on some uh, Saturday, Mitch Truck. He's been I was playing. very impressed with him. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's been playing at, I'm going to say, Roville in the Eastern Footy League. Hasn't had too many opportunities. He looked a ready-made footballer. I was, I was down at training this evening, and he walked past, and it reminded me of John Newcomb walking past just in terms of the physical attributes of the guy. So he he's, an, he's, a, he's a bit raw, um, but, gee, there's some, some attributes to him that uh, are interesting. So I suspect they'll... They'll train with Hawthorne through the preseason and be given the opportunity to to be picked up through that supplementary draft process. That that's just a godsend. So typically um, Hawthorne have been averaging six or eight Box Hill players training through each week um, and getting the opportunity to train through summer. And the guys bring up, are able to identify the talent from a Hawthorne perspective. It's a great opportunity. I suspect those two might be the ones that come into the frame come sort of January February. As soon as you said John Newcomb, everybody's ears pricked, Ed. So uh, yep. he, he is the uh, – we were talking before about having the Leo King Award. We might have the John Newcomb Award for the Box Hill player who uh, impresses the most over summer training at Hawthorne. Ed, we're going to finish played, up. Um, I played golf with Jai today. And unfortunately, he came <laughs> second again. Um, <laughs> and I uh, said so he felt, felt like he was robbed yet again. But uh, anyway. He uh, well, we're going to talk about the awards shortly. Uh, he's had a he's had a fantastic season. So, uh, and uh, he's the template, I think, for what Box Hill and Hawthorne will do going forward. Ed, thank you so much for joining us as always, uh, and for your, your support of uh, Hawks Insiders. Have a great trip to Gold Coast Sunday night six oh five. I think is the starting time. That's right. Yep. Uh, live stream on afl.com.au, uh, which you can then I think you can cast at your TVs as well. So if you're looking for some footy on Sunday night, that is the game to watch. Uh, send our best, everybody. Good luck. If the boys are getting a bit of a roll, we'll certainly get you back again before the grand final. Uh, have a good one, and thanks for your time this evening. Oh, I really appreciate all your support. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. That was Ed Sill, the president of the Box Hill Hawks. And as we've said, he has been a great supporter of ours since we started the Hawks Insiders. So one season continues, another one starts on Sunday, oh, Saturday evening at Marvel Stadium. It is Essendon v Hawthorne, round one AFLW. Carlton just lost by 18 points to Collingwood to start that season. Hawthorne's team will be picked uh, tomorrow. They do, I think, the day before the game, but they put out an email today with a great video as well um, to announce that there will be about 12 uh, debutantes on uh, Saturday night. So Dominic Carbone, Jasmine Fleming, Zoe Barbacos, Talia Fellows, Charlotte Bascaran, Bridget Deed, Mackenzie Erdley, Sophie Locke, and it's a great story, Sophie Locke, her mother passed away from cancer only a couple of weeks ago. Really moving video as well, put out by the Hawks today, as she was told she was playing. Tamara Smith, Lucy Wales, Eliza Shannon, and Catherine Brown will all play on Saturday night. Um, we were hoping to get someone on to talk about that, but I think given that the season opener was tonight, all eyes for anyone in the AFLW community was pretty much on that game. So uh, we didn't sort of go f- too far down the path of trying to get a guest on, but we will certainly be trying in the next little while to get someone on to come and ha- have a chat to us. Um, but I want to get you, uh, Danny, your AFLW in-house resident I, uh, expert. I don't think... The Hawks will probably start reasonable outsiders on Saturday night. Essendon seem to have built their list, I think, for more short-term success than Hawthorne have. The, the bookies aren't too confident before Prinzi uh, jumps in. I've just checked. We're eight dollars, uh, and the line's twenty-five <laughs> and a half, which in AFLW uh, is forty, is probably the equivalent to about uh, sixty and a half points in the males competition. So. We're not allowed. We're allowed to talk about. We're allowed to get, talk about the odds. Darren, uh, Darren's not on tonight. Darren's That's not why a fan. I thought I'd jump in. Lindsay yeah, <laughs> will probably give a better preview, but I don't think the bookies are too confident. Yeah, and and probably uh, probably neither should they be. Um, like you said, Ash, and I think we talked about this uh, a week or two ago. Um, the the AFLW team is they're definitely building for the long haul, and um, I. I think they're trying to get it 
right and do it right properly the first time uh, and build a list. And that takes a bit of time and they'll have a much, much longer sort of um, period of incubation uh, than what Essendon will with their ready-made players that have come in ready to, ready to challenge straight away. So um, yeah, who knows what happens? It's the first game of, uh, of their existence and likewise for the Bombers. So anything can happen, but I would probably, I'm not a betting man either, like bit like Daz, but um, if I was, my money probably wouldn't be on the Hawks. Yeah, I think uh, the achievement for Hawthorne on Saturday night will be to be out there. There are 11,500 tickets sold. There'll be 15,000 people hopefully at the game. And I think, you know, we've had, you know, a few people involved in the program have been on the spaces and uh, have sort of contributed to insiders. It's going to be a very emotional night for them, a fantastic night to see the Hawks run out. Not expecting particularly great things, but let's hope that they uh, put on a competitive performance and something to build on. So we wish them the best. Let's talk about a few issues Hawthorne-wise. We're going to start with the awards night. It was awards night, the AFL awards last night, being Wednesday night. Jai Newcomb was named by the AFL coaches, and they're, in my eyes, they're they're the ones who know what they're talking about. Um, They awarded Jai the best uh, young player in the comments. It's sort of a peculiar system, Brad. They sort of take into account two years of football. Yeah, two years. I saw there was a lot of grief from uh, Collingwood supporters as to why Nick Dacos didn't win it, but he'll win it uh, next year because they do it over two years. That whole night is quite weird. I'm sure we're going to discuss it. Um, the All-Australian side as well. You know, who picks and how they pick the captain and who picks and how they pick the side because one of our boys got robbed. So Okay, well, let's you know, go straight to that. I mean, I think I think a lot of people here want to hear us fed. And as I said, this is the uh, – there's, there's three of us. Uh, Morris with us here. Simon, good evening. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start with you. You're the voice of reason amongst all of us. You're the one who can sometimes prick the air out of the balloon, but with sheer logic. I want to ask you, because uh, uh, this is – I don't know your, the answer to this. Was James Sicily robbed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's there's no logical reason behind this one. I mean, to put him to to leave him out, um, and some of the people that they put in, it's not like sometimes there's there's a person who's missed out on the team, and you can say, well, who would you take out? And you you think about it and you go, well, everyone in there deserves their spot. But um, I I don't think that there's any earthly reason why Braden Maynard or Tom Stewart would be in there ahead of him. Yeah, I think the one that you're talking about, Simon, along those lines is probably Tom Lynch, who, you know, runner-up in the Coleman, but how do you fit him into that forward line uh, when the Coleman medalist is in a forward pocket? So, um, but, yeah, like you said, like, find me a reason why James Sicily's not in ahead of the two that you've mentioned. Yeah, and I think uh, um, Brayshaw, Andrew Brayshaw, might well win the Brownlow, but um, I'm looking at the midfielders in that thing and I can't, Realistically, they all deserve their spot as well. But um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a little it's laughable. Overall, the team that they picked was actually pretty uh, fair. It was just that back line. Like Tom Stewart is a magnificent player. He's a you know been a brilliant player, but he missed I think it was five games during the year. Got subbed out a couple of times. He got tagged a few times where he literally barely touched it. And he gets a spot in the team. It's like uh, Corey at Enright. It was like um, I tweeted last night that it was like uh, Chris Scott was picking uh, the All-Australian side. Five Geelong players. Um, Tom Hawkins somehow was uh, the captain. And he even spoke about it, uh, you know, uh, in his interview to say he's not even a good leader. And they make him the captain. Yeah. I, oh, let's, get, let's get it back to, to uh, the Sicily for a sec. For, uh, for a second, I I was on Sports Day this evening, and I made the point that in two thousand and eight, Geelong was a better team than Hawthorne, except for one month of the year, which was September, and that you can never you can never claim that Hawthorne stole the 08 premiership because for one month of the year, Hawthorne was actually a better team than Geelong. For one month they actually went past Geelong, then the next year Geelong took over again. Tom Stewart is probably a better footballer than James Sicily, but this year. James Sicily's been a better player than 
Tom Stewart. That's that's the one I had a lot of difficulty with. A few years ago, James Sicily in 20, uh, 2019, I think was the year that Sicily broke his wrist. Maybe 18 or 19, correct me which year it was. Yeah, and he missed the last six games. Of he the was year. flying that year. He was absolutely, he was a walk-up certainty for the All-Australian team that year as well. But didn't, on the basis of missing six games at the end of the year, he didn't um, even get picked in the squad. And people thought, well, fair enough. You know, he missed a quarter of the season. Bad luck, James. You know, if you'd played the whole season out, you would have made the squad and probably made the team. Tom Stewart gets a complete luxury of... Um, Tom Stewart gets a complete luxury of uh, missing six games and making the team. I think it's just, it is a really disappointing uh, effort by the selectors. They really lean into the, uh, if you've been selected once, it's a lot easier to get selected again sort of thing, don't they? Whereas they really make first-time, um, you know, or All-Australian debutants really earn it. I reckon there's a the balance of power there is really out of whack. Well, it's like that coaches award two years. Almost, if Sicily does it next year, he'll make it. If he has a similar year next year, he'll, you know, there's no guarantees, but you're pretty sure to make it because it'll be the two years' body of work. Um, but I had a bad feeling. I wrote about it in the, uh, in the recap. It was such similar vibes to Andrew McGrath and the Rising Star in 2017. And for, until all the last couple of weeks of the year, Ryan Burton was going to win the Rising Star. Then, you know, you get a little bit of noise about McGrath and the, you know, the Essendon and Mafia and the media got themselves going. And then, sure enough, we know what happened to the Rising Star, and it was exactly the same with Sicily. Sam Taylor started to get a bit, a little bit of buzz in the last couple of days, and even though you know it should have been between Sicily and Stewart, really, once Sam Taylor started to get the buzz, because you know they're going to pick Stewart. Once Sam Taylor got a bit of media buzz, it was all over for Sis. Ash, I've got a serious question. Is there any value to knowing who selects the team and who selects the Rising Star? Well, it's the same people. Well, is there is there any value in knowing who it is? Because in in my mind, these people are effectively accountable. They're all you know. Well, yeah, they're, we know it's public knowledge. But what? Why is there any value for that being public knowledge? Because I'm confident yeah, because that they people... do. Because otherwise, because I'll, I'll I'll keep this clean. Because the people outside Victoria who are convinced that anything that AFL does is a, is a Victorian plot. So they have to be really careful to make sure there is a there there is a, um, a, a WA selector and a SA selector and a New South Wales based selector. And I think a Queensland based selector um, and one or two other areas are taken care of as well. So they're very very keen to make it known who, who the selectors are. It's twenty twenty three, so they're they're accountable in the sense that you know it comes out there, and if one person has has given anyone other than Nick Dacos five votes, they're going to get hounded about it. So they're like, well, it's not worth it. I'll just give him five. But if you uh, make this um, a bit more of a silent ballot, then you're much more likely to get people's like actual opinions. Yeah, I'm not sure an award like these awards can you can have sil- silent ballots. You've just sort of got to, I think you sort of do need to know who they are, but they'll be held. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. There's one or two judges there that I'm not convinced watch a whole watch a whole lot of footy. Um, and I one just of talk, them wouldn't be Kane Corns with Ash. No, Kane watches. No, Kane watches a lot of footy. Uh, but Kane, Kane paints himself into a corner. He, he's all year saying what a crap list Hawthorne has. It'd be very hard to, to turn around and. Uh, put a yeah, Hawthorne player into the whole straight. If, so. if we're completely irrelevant, absolutely. And irrelevant. Yeah, why is he watching an irrelevant team, Ash? What's that? Why is he watching an irrelevant team? Yeah. So um, there's a couple of judges there. I'm not going to name names. There's a couple of judges there. I don't really – I'm not sure how – they're fantastic footballers, but I'm not quite sure how across they are. I mean, you can actually break it down. If you want to do the exercise and you had the time, you could actually – Go through on the AFL app. You could very you could watch two minutes of every Hawthorne game and straight away work out who the commentators are, and then work out which of the all Australian commentators over the course you actually watch Hawthorne live. Very very easy to do. And then if you really you know, if you did as a group effort, you could work out which of the commentators, how many games of just to pull out a name, how many times Jared Healy watched each team play, right? And you could very quickly work out where they've got weaknesses. Um, you know, it's a bit it's of a it's, it's a bit of a pe- it's a bit of a pedant exercise, but you can actually do it. Is this only TV though? Because a lot of them do radio as well. Yeah, but well, yeah, but um, you so yeah, but look, you know that uh, Sunday radio, you know that Jared Healy does every Friday night on 
on SEN. So you could again look at the fixture. Hawthorne does pay the price, I think, for having you know we don't want we don't want to talk the team up as being irrelevant, but they do pay they have paid the price a little bit for they're the one they're the Sunday as Ed said they're the Sunday team. Um, a lot of the a lot of the mainstream commentators have done their footy watching by you know they do Friday night footy and Saturday footy by Sunday they're not watching a lot of footy and unfortunately that's where Hawthorne plays. So I think there's a bit of that as well. I mean, Geelong play a lot more primetime footy than Hawthorne do. Some amazing stats going around. Um, if I could find it, I actually took a um, – so I'm going to borrow – I don't know, I don't think he's listening, but uh, some of you might be uh, members of the Hawk headquarters um, message board. And <laughs> Mark O'Connor, Mocker, who's one of the founders of that, he put this up. So I'm, this is all credit goes to him. Uh, so he pointed out some examples of Hawthorne being robbed. So we will dive for like a minute. In 91, Hawthorne finished second on the ladder, didn't have a single player in the team. 1993, Jason Dunstall kicked 117 goals in 20 games. 16, Brownlow votes to finish fourth, couldn't make the team. 1995, Darren Jarman kicked 11 goals, was named in the forward pocket, even though he uh, was the best centerman in the league and had 18 Brownlow votes. Sam Mitchell, uh, 2009, 30 touches a game, third in the league, uh, Won the best and fairest by an absolute mile. Didn't make the squad. Uh, Mitchell in 2012 ended up winning a Brownlow medal a few years later. Couldn't get a Guernsey, and they put four midfielders on the bench to really hammer home the point. 2013, they put uh, insulted us with the Coleman medalist in the Ford pocket. That's Roughhead, I think, and the best midfielder in the game on a halfback flank, but managed to find a place for Andrew Mackey amongst five Geelong players in 2013 when Hawthorne won the Premiership. And then in 20, this is the best one. In 2017, 2016, Hawthorne equal top with 17 wins, found a spot for one Hawthorne player, while Sydney got five and Geelong got three. Oh, and Matthew Boyd, ninth place to the Charlie Sutton medal for the seventh place Bulldogs, was given the last spot ahead of Sam Mitchell's, who was the Crimmins medals for the third place team. So people are uh, people <laughs> with memories. And there's another thing on there which I'm not going to get into, but listing all the times Geelong people of uh, comparing some of the Geelong players' all Australian records compared to Hawthorne. But people like Dangerfield and um, Enright and Sell and a few others have had twice as many all Australian players as, as the like as the likes of Hodge and Mitchell um, and a couple of others. So I don't think Hawthorne. <laughs> History which says Hawthorne doesn't been particularly well looked after, even when they're successful in, in this award. We also tend to um, win games. I noticed this during our successful years. We won a lot of games, and I think this is related. And Brown the Night comes around, and the opposition's got three votes. And I think that says a lot about how we played in those years. I don't think we had really standout individuals. We shared the load really, really well. Um, and, you know, the upshot of the whole thing is that, like, 2013, 14, 15, would we rather 16 All-Australians in that time or a hat-trick of premierships? Like, that's obviously what right. it comes down to. And and something that I, I really took great pride in in those years was when um, Hawthorne won and the opposition got three votes. Yeah, and the Hawks were always a well-oiled machine and everyone just played their role as opposed to having, you know, we had outstanding individuals, but we didn't rely on them to individually you know, do their thing week in, week out. It was a different person every week. I think that's sort of what you're suggesting, uh, Mora, and I absolutely agree. Uh, David, good evening. Got a question? Uh, um, statements, boys. Um, you're all talking <laughs> about T- Tom Stewart. I reckon Adam Sard. Adam, St- Adam Sard's only knowledge of defence is it keeps the bloody supporters out. How he got <laughs> in, I'm sorry. He's a great runner of the football, but he wouldn't know defence if his life depended on it. Um, you talk about not getting awarded. Think about it. The best coach in the modern era has never been coach of the year, ever. He's won. He's yeah. won awards by. Um, he's won the. Um, Jock. He's at Jock McCall Award, but he's never been coach of the year. And Newcomb and the don't get me wrong, Dacos and Young DeGoing had great years, but they were playing in great sides. DeGoing's got one of the best defences around him in the game. John Newcomb's carrying a 13th place centre line above as good as anyone. And as one bloke put up last night, he put up about 10 stats. And Newcomb's, out of all the blokes in the rookie-listed blokes, he was either first or second in every one of the 10 stats. And as the last one was that he's won the most coaches' votes. So 
I got no idea what these blokes watch each week. I reckon Dacos had it from the time he got drafted. He was favourite the time he got drafted. It wouldn't have mattered. Newcomb could have kicked 30 goals and had 180 clearances and he wouldn't have got it. Well, here's the thing. This is my theory on this. I, I actually, Dacos, I actually, Dacos was deserved to win. Dacos, he's a super f- footballer and he's made it. He's been a really important part of a team that's made the final. So I've got no problem in winning it. What gets interesting, though, is that people feel very guilty, Daniel and Brad, I want your views on this, and Simon as well. People feel very guilty when every year the midfielders win the Brownlow medal, right? It is the midfielders' medal. So anytime, you know, people are dying for a reason to give some recognition to a key position player. And De Koning was that reason this year. Very good player. I'm not sure he's better than, uh, not sure he's better than Newcomb. But people want to feel better about themselves by voting a key position player so high. Yeah, it's definitely the determinant. If you can't split them, you give it to the key position player over the midfielder for sure. Yeah, there's some, there's some value in that. And I think, um, you know, De Koning had a fantastic year and, and came out of nowhere, which, side note, gives me a lot of hope for uh, Denver Granger Barras, who's a year behind him in development. But that's another story for another day. But... Um, you know, because he did some really good jobs um, midway and back half of the year, there was all this hype about, oh, young key position player, let's, you know, sort of build him up. And it becomes a bit of a runaway train in the media and it feeds itself. Um, whereas, like you said, the midfielders, if they're not like the super sexy number one pick, um, kind of have to work a bit harder for their votes, I think. And um, and, and John Newcomb's proof of that because, you know, he, like Dave did say, he absolutely carried uh, a shocking midfield unit um, in, in Hawthorne's midfield this year and was clearly, I think, our number one midfielder throughout the course of the year, which is a phenomenal effort for a 20, 21-year-old player who's come in as a mid-season rookie. That's, um, that in itself should be celebrated. Absolutely. And as Dave mentioned as well, the best thing about Jai was the coaches uh, voted him as the number one and uh, clearly he won that clearly. So, you know, for us and for him, I think that's an amazing yeah, uh, achievement. And we also said, as Dave mentioned, I think we even spoke about this, even the first five rounds, you know, when Jai got off to that flying start and Dacos was there just behind him, but we knew Collingwood in the name, we even spoke about it and even said then that, Dacos would be really hard out to beat. Um, the interesting thing is the is a player association award. In the record every week, we run a question in the player profiles: Do you go to the footy if the team's not playing? And just about every player for a whole year has answered no. Next year, we're going to change the question to: Do you watch footy when you're, when your team's not playing? I suspect the answer is also going to be no. And every player at the end of the year then gets surveyed and asked to nominate the three, two, one thing from every team. They don't watch enough footy to play. I mean, they, they, they watch footy as required to during their office hours and their training hours. They don't spend a whole lot of time watching footy uh, the rest of the time. So totally disregard the players' votes in anything and players' awards. Brayshaw is a very good player and will do very well on the brown low, but um, put a lot more stock in what the coaches say. They're the ones who really do watch the game and take note. And, of course... They gave Jai Newcomb a well-earned gong. So that wraps up the awards. We'll have a no doubt. We'll have a bitch about the Brownlow in a few weeks' time after that is uh, takes place as well. Before we finish up, we've got a lot of list issues that we're going to get through over the next few weeks. There's too many to get through tonight, but I just want to get uh, you three guys to nominate which players on the list you think would be. There'll be no list decisions made, obviously, while Box Hill is playing, um, and hopefully that they've got a few weeks left in them. Um, but there will be no list decisions made before they're finished. But who do you think, I'll start with you, uh, Danny, who do you think is a little bit nervous at the moment? Well, I mean, I think you, you we know that Liam Shields is, is moving on. I think we know Kyle Hardigan's moving on. Uh, Dan Howe somehow got a farewell game last week in Tassie. Um, and, and I think there's going to be a few guys just on the edge, depending on how hard we go in trying to either move on some of our senior players in, in trades, uh, like Bruce, Mitchell, um, uh, those sorts of guys, O'Meara, Wingard. If, 
they don't move on, then I think some of these um, sort of real fringe players um, might be in a bit of strife. I think Tom Phillips might be in a fair bit of strife. I think, um, yeah, there's there's a there's a there's quite a few there. Um, the questions will be asked about Connor Downey. The questions will be asked about Seamus Mitchell. Um, I would hope those guys get an extra year just to for Peter Burge to get a hold of them in pre-season and see if they can get their body right because they've both got a few tricks. Um, I thought Josh Morris might be in a bit of strife, but his um, games at AFL level showed a little bit. And Ed seemed to think when I spoke to him on Saturday at the yeah Saturday at the Box Hill game that he had another year on his contract. So um, not like Hawthorne to hide contract news, but um, he he might be saved by the fact that um, he is contracted. But those would be the ones that I think will be looking over their shoulders in the coming weeks. What do you think, Brad? Uh, agree with everything uh, Prinzi said. It's as I've mentioned a few times. I reckon this trade period and you know, uh, leading into the draft is going to be fascinating. Our list is still, in my opinion, two drafts away from us, you know, really nailing um, our best, I guess, you know, 22 to 30 uh, players. The turnover over the next two years is still going to be uh, quite uh, big. There's still, as Prinzi mentioned, a lot of fringe players uh, on our list that are going to have to go. Um, so, as you mentioned, it'll all come down to, you know, whether we're able to keep the likes of your Gunstons and your Bruce's, as he's mentioned, Shields gone, Howell go, Hardigan's gone, um, Tom Phillips, I think, will go. I think Connor Downey deserves at least one more year. He was a, quite a high draft pick. He's had hamstring problems, but, you know, Burge will come in and hopefully fix that. I don't think we can afford to keep both of Downey and Phillips, especially with Carl uh, Amon looking likely to sign. Um, but then, yeah, as Princey mentioned, your guys like uh, Morris, uh, Mitchell, Saunders, who obviously played on the weekend and showed a bit, uh, you know, there's still a lot of those guys. We can't keep them all. So three or four of them are going to go. Jackson Callow is another one. I know Daz is, I think, um, you know, quite keen in him still. And uh, we see he's only 20, but I just don't think there's enough there for him to make it at senior level. Cosy will get another year. I think he's still contracted for one more year, but he really needs to have a huge preseason because we still lack that second key forward, which we've spoken about. That's one spot. And I know, Prinzi, you're really keen on uh, Camden in the draft, but unfortunately he's a real bolter and looking likely to go in the top four or five, which we're going to just miss out on. Harry Sheasel will go top three, and Camden's looking likely to go probably pick four or five. I've been told Sheasel's no certainty to go top three. I don't, think he, will, I don't think he will go. Top what about three. top five? I think, I think he'll he, probably go top five. Sheasel is a rough, so is still a rough chance to get to Hawthorne, I think. At pick what, seven? Yeah, I think he, he, uh, he may still drop down to six to ten. So You just know he's going to get picked up by the Bombers, don't you? Absolutely. That's just, well, that's a problem. Essendon really, Essendon really like him, but yeah. um, we'll see how it goes. There has been talk, and we'll talk about this more in the next few weeks, um, and then your homework will be over the next few weeks to work out some potential ways that could happen. But there is a bit of talk around that Hawthorne are trying to move down um, so to get into one of the first few picks. So we have to work out which club they could potentially do business with, what deals might work. So we'll uh, we'll look at that over the next uh, few weeks as well. That has been the spaces. We managed to get there without our fearless leaders, Darren and Andrew. Uh, that has been the spaces. A little bit of housekeeping is that we won't be doing one next week. The footy will be on this time next week. And uh, I'm sure we'll all be watching Brisbane and Richmond. We'll be back to do the next one in two weeks. However, if there is breaking news out of the Hawks, if Gunston or Bruce decide they're leaving or something major happens out of the Hawks, uh, keep a look out for our Twitter feed. We've always got capacity to jump on that evening and do an emergency spaces. I think we did it once or twice last year, and we will certainly do it again. And we'll be looking at doing a fairly regular spaces through the first couple of weeks of October um, as the trade period takes place. There's always lots of opportunity to talk about the trade and we'll get some special guests on. A couple of journos who cover it. We'll, I'm sure we'll be happy to come on and have a chat as they did last year. So no spaces next week, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got some stories running through Hawks Insiders 
over the next few days. We're going to start our exit surveys very shortly, so there'll be lots of great written content as well to consume as we go through. We wish Box Hill the very best for Sunday. We wish the Hawthorne AFLW girls uh, the best for Saturday night. Hopefully we will see some of you there for this history-making night for the footy club. Um, Simon, thank you. Pleasure. I'll definitely see you there on Saturday. I'll, I'll be there. And uh, thank you, Brad. Thank you all. I'm hoping to try to get there as well on Saturday night. Yes, I'm uh, planning to be there as well. Uh, Danny, thank you for pulling no. the levers and making it work. No, thanks for having me. And hopefully I didn't disgrace uh, the job, the great job that we see and Daz do on a weekly basis. No, we'll be you did that. a great job, Rinzi. Well, we changed that Twitter password uh, first thing in the morning. So you <laughs> ASAP. <can. laughs> ASAP. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, if you support of the Hawks Insiders, $5 a month, $50 for the year. As I said, lots of great content. Some of our best content last year was out of season, and we will be repeating the dose for you as we go along. I've got a great idea for a summer feature that will want you all to keep visiting, so I'm going to start planning that in the next little while uh, as soon as the finals finish. Have a good weekend, everybody. Enjoy a, uh, well, still a stressful weekend with two teams playing. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks, if not before, on Hawks Insiders. Thanks and good night.